there's 50,000 startups that are applying to a Techstars program at any one point in time, which means there's 50,000 new companies, new ideas, new products trying to be brought into this world. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by NiceWork, a branding and service design company. One of the things we do best is asking our clients the right questions. This podcast came about because we wanted to share some of the best answers that we've heard over the last 12 years. We talk to significant creators, experts, and communicators who we've encountered, and we share the useful insights, inspirations, and facts that made us stop and take notes as we go about our work. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today we chat to Yossi Hassan, MD of Textiles Blockchain and founder of OnChain Capital. In a previous life, he co-founded We Think Code and Synac. Of course, we talked to him about blockchain, but more excitingly, we talked to him about what weird things people are doing with it, including creating games where you can buy digital assets. We talk about how to maximize limited resource when starting up a company or a brand, and how to build that brand into a cult, and how important it is that the founders lead with the values and remind people of the values all the time. What's the chat about how a business can become bigger than the founder and what it takes to get there? Listen out for when I botch his company title early on in the episode. Enjoy. Hello, Ross. Thank you for that amazing introduction. Um, before we were recording, we um, were having a discussion around kind of you in this, this strange position being one of the people working in, um, in Alchemist Techstars. And you, you see multiple sort of companies come from startup phase and then grow and kind of go out into the market a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. And you were sharing with us some of your opinions of, of what makes a strong brand kind of in the startup space and, and how to get there. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, I mean, just speaking of strong brands, just to clarify slightly, um, so I'm with, I'm with Techstars, the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed and we'll talk about a bit the brand messaging there. And then I'm running the Alchemist Blockchain Techstars Accelerator. So Alchemist is our corporate partner, um, partner with Techstars, and we focus on blockchain companies within um, this accelerator here in New York City. So just, just to clarify, you said Alchemist Techstars. And in our conversation earlier, I think what, what you were asking is, is there, is there any common threads or themes on the startups that manage to build a stronger brand in the market uh, earlier on. And what I've noticed and what I've seen is the ones that um, are able to take the uh, kind of values and personalities of the founders and bring that into the organization um, and have that aligned with who they are and then be very comfortable uh, opening that up to the market. So being uh, communicating in a style that is authentic to them um, bringing on other people who uh, live up to those same kind of values, the same kind of way that they like to operate uh, and being able to uh, message their, their company in a way that really resonates with who they are as founders um, are the ones that are able to differentiate themselves much quicker uh, as well as build that brand around the organization and themselves uh, in, in a much more co coherent way. There isn't this disconnect between them all agency that one said, you know, this is what we think your brand should stand for, uh, and it doesn't, isn't, isn't high congruency over what the founder, who the founders are. 
Uh, and I think for many big organizations today, they've got that uh, foundation that was formed where the brand was the founder from the start, and then they built on top of that, and then um, the organization eventually outgrew the founder, but the brand element still stood within there. And that's what you see within startups today. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I also think it's kind of interesting because they obviously when you're starting, you know, resources is probably not your strongest um, thing. So they don't have huge capital or beautiful offices or any of that stuff to throw around. And I think leaning into the authenticity of the values and the vision, the vision of the founders um, allows people to kind of agree to take the risk and jump onto the team and, and join in. Um, so it can become a way to actually attract the the better talent, you know, better talent than you can afford to pay for in the, the early days of the business. Yeah, that's precisely it. A startup's got uh, a definition of a startup. You've got limited resources operating in a world of uncertainty uh, to a certain extent. And uh, one of the things we look for is if, if the founder was able to convince anyone else to join this ride of uncertainty, and if they're not even able to convince one other person, whether it be another co-founder or an employee, um, it's not an, an immediate no, you can't join Techstars, but it's a question mark as to why, if this person can't convince one other person that this is the thing that they're uh, able to see this future that they're able to go out and execute on, then do they really have what it takes? And if you take that, just that kind of concept, multiply that by a thousand, will they have the ability to now convince a thousand people over time to join this organization uh, to go after this kind of vision and mission that they're trying to do? Uh, and convince an entire uh, population of potential customers, that's what we're looking for. And that first employee or first co-founder is kind of a flag on whether they'll be able to do that at scale. And I suppose th there's an element of how this translates externally because not only do you have to convince people to to join you, you also have to convince people to, to buy into your product or your service and, and actually be one of the early ones to pick it up and, and test it, even though it might not be its fully fledged, polished self. Exactly, it might not be a fully fledged, polished setup, and you know that the company you're dealing with may not be around in uh, in a few months to a few years' time. You know the stats on, on startups, 90% of them will fail within the first five years. So you've really got to be taking a leap of faith uh, and what's giving you that conviction is the founding team in front of you either in how to communicate that message uh, without it having ever met them or the person standing in front of you and, and talking to you uh, in a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, but those both those messages have to come to really that this is a, a jack team um, that I don't know, know what they're doing but are able to communicate that in a way that's consistent with the founders. And in your experience at, at Techstars, which, which brands have you seen or which companies have you seen that have really embraced this and, and done it very, very well, um, you know, kind of taking these founders' values and, and personality and pushing them out there into the experience of the company and into the marketing? So I'll give you a South African example. It was a, a company I went through the Techstars program last year uh, or a year and a half ago in Cape Town, uh, a company called Howler. Um, the, the founding team or the CEOs, uh, named Shai Evian, um, and um, and Steve joined joined the company. They were the ex Liquid Chef founders, and 
built a very successful brand and company in Liquid Chefs and, and moved on to build a ticketing and event management company. And when they joined Techstars, there were about 15 people right at that point. Uh, and the, the personality of the founders and the values that they have uh, translate very much into the Howler brand that they've created today. They're um, a company that is serious about scale and doing big things, uh, which is part of the dream of the, the founders. Um, at the same time, they're extremely focused on having fun and enjoying uh, enjoying the process and make sure that they create an organization uh, for both their employees and their customers where uh, you're dealing with these massive scale challenges, which are stressful, um, but they bring this element of, of fun into uh, the brand that they're building and the experience that they have with both employees and customers. And that strategy has worked extremely well for them. They're now scale to about 70 people. They're doing extremely well in South Africa. Uh, I'm sure you've probably been to a number of events with, uh, with Howl at present and uh, are starting to scale beyond uh, beyond South Africa into, um, into the countries. Uh, and for the size of organization and the capital base that they're coming from, I think their brand far outweighs what their competitors have um, or their competitors in the market. And that's very much because of this kind of congruency between the founders, Shah and Steve, and what they put into the brand. And do you think, I mean, sort of old school marketing thinking is this idea of find your unique selling position or, or what makes you kind of special. Do you think building a company on these, you know, from this authentic place and, you know, kind of putting the values forward to people, do you think that is a, a better way to differentiate than trying to find some sort of a unique thing to tag your brand onto? Um I think it's 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 a bit of both. You need to have a a positioning that does speak about what makes you unique that a customer wants to listen, but that's not enough because we are inundated with different startups, different offerings. You know, you ask me how many startups applied uh, to TechStars, and it's in the hundreds to thousands every time. Um, and this is one program and we have 50. So think about that. There's 50,000 startups that are applying to a Techstars program at any one point in time, which means there's 50,000 new companies, new ideas, new products in just one organization's accelerators that are trying to be brought into this world uh, and to find customers and capital. Uh, and that doesn't include all the existing companies that are already there. So as a, as a company uh, or as a buyer, you are inundated with new messages, new unique selling propositions, new offerings all the time. The ones that stand out are the ones that can communicate that message in a unique way that talks about more than the unique selling proposition. It talks more about the organization, the mission, what they're trying to do and are able to, to convince you that if you join this, uh, this organization as a customer or as an employee, that you're going to be part of that brand and that mission. Uh, and it's more about that experience that's going to be able to create for you. Not in every case, you know, some people just care about is this going to save me money or is this going to uh, make my life easier in one way or another. But if you want to be kind of taken out of the commodity of just those two questions, it's got to be more about that experiential element and how well you can articulate that. I think it's also really important in a commoditized marketplace. So if you are offering a service or a product that's not necessarily unique in what it's sold, what problem it solves, but it's more about how you deliver it. I think values become exceedingly important in helping users make the choice between 
one product and another product that are seemingly on the surface um, offering exactly the same thing. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it's, you know, we live in a, in a, in a time where monetized uh, offerings are, um, you know, it's very, it's very hard to have some kind of unique, truly unique offering that exists today. Um, the wave of competition and, and technological change that's happening, that that's not the thing that's going to keep you differentiated in uh, medium term to the long term. Yeah. And now one of the things we were discussing is, you know, so it's quite important, you know, you're saying that it's quite important for the, the founders to be bold enough and honest enough to use their their like kind of personal values and, and things and infuse the brand with that. What happens in the case, like, do, do you think companies outgrow this? Do you think that it's a good short-term thing or do you think that kind of value carries on much longer after the organization outgrows the founder? My hypothesis is that that kind of foundation um, carries on with the scaling of the organization. Uh, even though the organization outgrows the founder, if, if it's done successfully, that foundation um, becomes the brand and the uh, ethos of the company and what it's known for. And I think if you think of, you know, a, a couple of, of very successful companies, um, let's take Investec as, a, as an example, um, so the brand of Investec is very much rela- related to um, Stephen Kossoff and uh, what, he, uh, what he inculcated into the values of that organization. And even though the company is now operating in multiple countries, multi-billion dollar company, far outgrown um, the CEO's um, reputation and, and the, the link that you have is with Investec, not with, with uh, Kossoff. But that's an example of someone who was able to bring that into an organization, build the values around it, be true to that, and consistently be able to communicate that as it's scaling and now has become the ethos of the communication. Uh, sorry, the ethos of the of the company and, and the brand that it stands for. I'm sure there's been some tweaks over time, but I don't think there's been a major pivot away from the kind of vision and what you wanted to build in the organization. Dabaru would be another example of that. Um, you can see multiple examples of it. If it's done correctly, uh, it's not about the organization now outgrowing the CEO. Uh, it's more about the organization almost overlaying with what that values of the CEO was and it now can't differentiate between the two. And I suppose they, they grow over time as you hire people that um, buy into that vision and buy into those values, you just start doubling down on that and making it deeper and deeper as a, a fundamental of the, the company and not just the vision of one human being. Yeah, and, and, and there is a time probably where it has to shift. Uh, and we've seen that with companies, where the brand has to change and adapt and, and maybe the, the, the core elements are no longer the things that can propel it forward. But I think that's a long way away. And, and if I was a you know a small business owner where I'm an EO member and my company is now 20 to 50 people and you're thinking it's time to uh, decouple the brand from you and I, I don't know if that's the right decision. I think there's uh, there's examples and you can see how that's been translated and being able to effectively translate that into organizations that have scaled to tens of thousands of people. The strongest brands are the ones who are able to create that link. I mean, I suppose I'm, I'm now just thinking while you're talking is 
I think a really good example of this is Microsoft, where it was sort of inextricably, inextricably linked to Bill Gates for so long. Yeah. Um, and I think when he finally let go of the reins, it, it went through a kind of a, a shaky patch. But now I think it's redefined itself you know, like outside of Bill Gates is a thing and it's now one of the most innovative companies and one of the most interesting companies um, on the planet. And it's it's quite interesting that it's a, Microsoft is almost in many ways sexier as a brand and as a company than Apple is, which is right. something that Apple held for so long. And the question will be, can Google do that when the founders now leave and make that kind of transition from the founders being the driving force of what makes this brand um, interesting and be able to maintain that uh, when they leave. And we're seeing the opposite of that with Facebook, where Facebook was now was once the darling and Mark Zuckerberg was seen as the boy genius and uh, his reputation and what's happening with data privacy and some of the, the things that Facebook has done, we're seeing the brand taking a bit of a beating um, and Mark Zuckerberg being less of the face of the company. So, these two things are are, in, are, are extreme, um, intrinsically linked, uh, and I think intrinsically linked for much longer than we anticipate uh, or think about within the organisation. So I suppose if you if you accept that as the case, then it does make a lot of sense to actually just embrace it. The earlier on you embrace it, the sooner you can see the value of it, um, whether you actively do it or let it passively happen. Yeah, yeah and, and to go back to your original question. What makes the startups different? I think it's the ones where the founders, whether it's knowingly or not, or just that's the personality they have, the ones where the founders are more ready just to accept that the brand that this organization is going to stand for is the brand that they stand for and that they're able to communicate that uh, and live that and be comfortable that these two things are very much linked in the beginning uh, and will be for a long time. But that's different to saying that the brand is the founder. It's not necessarily saying, you know, Yossi is the thing that gets communicated all the time. It's the organization. The organization, the way it's communicated, Yossi, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Now, now, can we just switch the conversation up a bit? And you, in this organization, Techstars, um, you originally started or you originally joined the organization here in South Africa and ran it in Cape Town for a while and now sitting in New York. Um, and my understanding is that the organization's grown quite quickly. Can you talk a little bit about how, how, what that's been like from a, a kind of an experience and how the brand and the communication of the brand is changing as this organization scales? Sure. So I think uh, Techstars as an organization, when I joined it, probably about 70 people uh, with now close to 300 uh, was operating in, I don't want to misquote, but had accelerators running in, I think, about five or six cities, 17 programs in five or six cities. Now we have 47 programs operating in, I think, about 20 cities. We have other products, things like Startup Weekend, which is 300 cities across the globe. Really an organization that is scaling very, very rapidly. And um, when I joined, the, the brand of Techstars is very much linked to its accelerator programs, it's known for its accelerators, and very much linked to its founders, David Cohen and David Brown, who founded the organization in 2007 in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and at the time, accelerators weren't a, uh, weren't a thing. They were 
one of the first organizations to, uh, to actually coin the term accelerator and to design this model. And, I, and at the time, an accelerator was new. Today, there are hundreds of different accelerator programs, and even the word accelerator has different meanings to different people. Um, so we've seen an organization that once was the uh, innovator and creator of a new way of building companies, uh, moving away from incubators to this accelerator model, has been extremely successful, uh, now has a portfolio of over 1,800 companies, uh, valued at over $70 billion, and a model that works very, very well. But needing to figure out how does it communicate who Techstars is uh, and not be uh, only associated with the word accelerator, which is a word that they don't own, uh, and the accelerator experience is very different between you know, run, you've got people running an accelerator in their backyard uh, and you've got something to the caliber <laughs> of tech stars. Um, so how do, they, how do they do that? And how do they also bring in from go from 70 people to 300 in two years' time uh, and be able to effectively communicate a message that allows them to articulate the value of tech stars as well as all these new products and offerings that are being built into the organization. So as an employee, I've experienced the internals of the organization grappling with that and what does it look like and seeing how um, uh, something which I probably didn't appreciate when I was building building my company, uh, my previous company, Synac, which I, which I believe you interviewed David on, um, how they are now working on a consistent effective message that everyone can understand and can be repeated in every touch point in the marketing and positioning that, that go out when we talk about textiles. And that rallies around what we, we what I said in the beginning is textiles is the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. Uh, and that wasn't something that we had when I joined. Uh, I would say, you know, Techstars is the world's biggest accelerator. The other MD in another program would say Techstars is uh, rocket fuel for startups. And the other person would say something else. And each MD has their own interpretation of what Techstars is and what the, the company or the leadership has been working on for the past few years is how to um, simplify that message and make sure that it's consistent across uh, all all people and all stakeholders who communicate what that is. And within that, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed? It means we have accelerators. It means we have investors. It means we have mentors. It means we have all these startup programs. It means we have this way of connecting people globally. When, uh, if you think about a network, a network becomes more powerful when you have more nodes on the network. If you think of Metcalfe's law, the more nodes on the network, the more powerful the network becomes. And it changes the way we think about the organization. It changes the way we think about our strategy and uh, and go to market. Um, but what's been most interesting for me is, is how often the leadership need to communicate that message in order for it to, one, land with the uh, employees that have been part of that journey before, new people coming in, and then the market. I... I grossly underestimated the role of uh, having to communicate or what is over-communicating uh, and how frequently that message has to be repeated and repeated and repeated to be reinforced so that that becomes the message and the brand that uh, everyone understands what we're trying to do and how we're trying to build it. Um, 
And I think where most organizations fail, or at least from my experience, uh, is the underestimating on how frequently that message has to be communicated. What I've seen out of the Davids, the two CEOs in Techstars, is how good they are constantly bringing the communication back to how does this make us the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed, and then bringing all values and constantly repeating that message and repeating that message. I mean, I think you touched on a few really amazing points there. Uh, and the first one is that the the founders are, or the, the leaders of the business, whether they're founders or not, one of their main responsibilities is to repeat the message, you know, the, the core message of the company again and again, because uh, I know I've fallen prey to this, as you believe you've done it once or twice at the beginning of the year, and everybody remembers it. But I think the reality is, life happens things happen people change the team changes and that message gets kind of diluted as time goes by so you do have to just repeat it all the time and i, and I can i can and the other one that i think sorry just to build on that and, and i can understand how as the ceo or the leadership in the company you've said this thing 500 times you don't feel like saying it again you, it's not new for you it's not something that maybe you feel like you need to repeat again, but that what they've shown me is that's not you're not saying it for you, you're saying it for the organization and it becomes part of the kind of a daily rhythm of what you're trying to do as a leader in the companies. You need to be able to just re articulate, recommunicate, realign and say it. If you think you've said it five hundred times, say it five hundred more. Um, and just keep on yeah. being able to do that. And I think it touches on your next point, which is that the the brand is is actually built all over the place. So it's not that the brand is the custodian, the marketing team is the one that needs to build the brand. It's that every individual in the organization is essentially a walking billboard for the company. And, you know, in your previous example, you're saying that you would say one thing and another MD would say another thing and somebody else, that brand is being slowly diluted every time somebody describes it in a different way but now that you're all aligned there's this common voice so no matter who in textiles you talk to you're hearing a single message and that single message is being carefully thought about and then you know repeated multiple times in the organization which is a very powerful thing exactly and i think it's a very powerful thing but i've seen how challenging it is to do uh, when you don't start off that way when, when you don't all have the kind of same message that you can um, that you can call from it takes much more effort to move an organization into that direction than if you were kind of already in that slipstream uh, but they've done it extremely well and extremely effectively um yeah, that, that the benefit of that is now we're all we're all talking about the same organization uh, in the same way as opposed to this kind of slightly different way of describing who, who text others that's brilliant. Can we can we switch this thing up again? Sure. Um, we were talking a little bit. So you run the Alchemist program, yeah. um, which which focuses mainly on blockchain, or not mainly, only on blockchain startups. Mm -hmm. um, and I think kind of blockchain has this interesting concept in it of kind of distributed ownership. Mm -hmm. um, how have you seen sort of branding build like brand building in this sort of fragmented space that you are, are working in yeah it's a great question i think what's interesting for me about about this industry uh, technology 
um, is that organizations as we know it are being redefined um, and completely restructured in how they're built and how they're thought of and conceptualized. Use Bitcoin as the example. Uh, you know, Bitcoin today uh, is, I mean, check the, the market cap, but it's around $150, $150 billion brand. Uh, it's effectively what it's worth. It's global. It's uh, accessible almost, uh, I think, in every country. Uh, and it doesn't have a CEO. It doesn't have an org. It doesn't have a marketing team, a positioning team. There was no one who came together and said what is going to be the uh, marketing and messaging of this brand um, and is very much being built from the ground up by the community around it. And you now have tens of thousands of evangelists who are communicating a message about what Bitcoin is, why you need it, why this is the future, why this is the revolution, etc. cetera. Uh, and you think about that, that's a completely new way for something to exist. Uh, and for something to be brought about into the world. And we're starting to see more of that, that there's organizations now that are trying to build their organization from a completely open and transparent um, way where the um, community or the um, stakeholders involved in it are the ones who are creating the brand as well as the organization. In cryptocurrencies, there's an incentive structure that allows for that in a more frictionless way, uh, but not every organization has to be a cryptocurrency. But what I'm, what I think is going to be happening is you're going to see a stronger and stronger drive towards these more open, transparent, and co-collaborative brand creations within organizations, as opposed to uh, top-down approaches. And it's different to what we've seen with social. It's not about creating a Facebook group and now you've got the ability to communicate with people who interact with your brand. It's truly about opening up the brand or even opening up the organization and the concept and allowing the brand to be formed and co-created with uh, the community that are going to be using uh, using it. Um, so that's what we're seeing in cryptocurrencies, that's what we're seeing in blockchain, and it's fascinating to see, think how is this going to shape out and how do you think about a brand strategy, a marketing strategy, a messaging strategy in this type of environment when this becomes the way that consumers want to consume. I suppose it does. It, it leads to a few interesting questions because you have no control. Yeah. So you might be the the creator of it or the, the the inception. You know, the point of inception of this thing, but you need to convince other people to buy into it and pick it up and build it, and then it's in their interest to convince other people to pick up the same thing so that it, whatever they're investing in becomes worth more. But then that leads to the idea of who then gets to set the direction of it like who gets to you know so if you've if you start something and then your the people who to join in take it in a different direction do you just have to sit back and accept that or do you think there's something you can do to sort of guide people towards where you need them to be so there i mean this is the, the big debate within um, within the blockchain and cryptocurrency world there, there is a, a mechanism where if a community disagrees on the step forward, either on a technological basis or on a brand basis or on a strategy basis, what they call is it's a software term, but it's called forking. And forking basically means you you take software and you fork it in another direction. You look at a fork, you put it on another path. But the, the fork 
both still then exist. So if, if Bitcoin gets forked and there was a, a moment in time where Bitcoin got forked into what was called Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin still exists and now Bitcoin Cash exists and they're going on two separate paths. So that's seen as the mechanism where if there is this great um, misalignment or there is no consensus within a community, that's the mechanism which is about to then happen where you're able to take everything that's been built, fork it, and then go in your own direction, create another brand, create a different thing that you stand for, and someone else will do that. And we're seeing that happen on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that's the mechanism that supports it, but it's an extremely, um, in, in many ways, chaotic process to get there. It isn't just this top-down, you know, this is what we're doing, and everyone has to um, shuffle in with that's what we're doing. There's multiple conversations, multiple stakeholders, there's people who have their interests, there's um, it almost becomes like a religion about what does it mean to do this or to do that, cult-like kind of following. And that's why we see such heated debates uh, for people who've heard on, on Twitter, on crypto Twitter, about um, what needs to be done in this protocol and this currency and this solution and this technology, because it really becomes this religious um, cult-like ownership that you have for the, the future of this organization because you're a participant and co-creator of it. You truly are taking ownership uh, of the path forward. And I think it's very interesting. I mean, there was that company, what was it called? The DAO. Yes. That experimented with with ownership um, was actually that you, you bought uh, into the currency and depending on how much ownership you had, that gave you a proportionate say in what the company did, what it said, what projects it invested its time and energy into. Um, do you think that's going to be the future of where where companies come from? I think so. And so think about, let's take Uber as an example. Imagine you're an Uber, uh, you, you, you use Uber. By using Uber, you have a financial stake in the success of Uber. You have an influence and you can potentially vote on where Uber is going to open up next, how many drivers it should have, should it have that many drivers, what kind of price it's going to charge, all the mechanisms that create and make Uber. And if, if you're dissatisfied or a number of people are, are dissatisfied with whatever Uber is doing, you've got the ability to then take everything that's been built to the past, completely fork it and create your own Uber legally um, as part of the way that it's structured and call it whatever you want and now build a community around that call it tuba and now you build a community yeah. about tuba and the, the, the future direction of tuba so it's completely out of your control um and and it, for many people that is too scary and like this is not the way we would want to build an organization and, and we've seen that uh, even in the past building open source software versus closed source software so like linux and open source software versus something like microsoft um and, or, or google now using open source software we've seen it in the past uh, but what we're seeing now is that there's an incentive mechanism, a structure that actually allows for the monetization of that, which is going to drastically accelerate more and more people into that type of um, structure that they're going to build organizations in this new way as opposed to the traditional way. And how do you defend against that as an incumbent? How do you go out and stop a Bitcoin as an example, which doesn't have a CEO, has no jurisdiction, uh, is in no government, there is no one who you can now go and uh, you know, launch a counter brand against or some kind of other campaign against. How do you compete in this type of environment where these organizations are completely decentralized, they're autonomous, um, 
and they stand for what the community wants to stand for. I think it's also interesting because it, in a way, comes full circle back to where we started this conversation that, that you know, if we come just for ease of use, let's talk about cryptocurrencies where each new cryptocurrency, in a sense, is someone taking a stab at saying, these are my values, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe in, this is what I think this thing should be used for. And then people kind of buy into that instead of joining the startup, they buy into it by actually physically buying the assets and using it in a way that's, that the originator sort of intended. Yeah. So it becomes an interesting one that, that people select according to the values of what the, the product stands for. That's, it, um, that's exactly it. Interesting. And, the, and the, you know, the, call it the godfather or the uh, uh, godmother of, uh, of cryptocurrencies was Satoshi Nakamoto for Bitcoin. And uh, the white paper that was, was released, it wasn't uh, coincidental that it was at, at the, the time of the global financial cri uh, crisis and, and, and meltdown with uh, the Lehman Brothers um, and was making very much a statement about the banking world and the financial world. And people who first joined, that message resonated with them and now that's being, becoming a, if you want to call it a religion around um, Satoshi's original vision and the people who see that vision and now other people are saying, well, that vision isn't necessarily correct. This is the vision that we should be taking on and launching all the new cryptocurrencies. So it's, it's not only about the technology, it's very much like you say about people joining a mission that aligns to their values um, and what they want to stand for. And they're now able to vote for that by actually participating in the utilization and building of the organization. That's, that's a phenomenal thought, I think, to, to wrap this whole thing up. Um, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast, Yossi. We really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. And, and I hear the sun hasn't been out in New York City for a long time, so I hope it does come up soon. <laughs> Thanks. I hope so, too. Um, uh, and as a parting gift to everyone, what are the most interesting things you've seen come through Techstarter, I mean, through Techstars, um, recently what what companies should people be having a quick look at just yeah, so i'm biased because i uh, i look at blockchain companies and i think you know season pain are the most interesting things that you could be spending your time and day on uh, so my examples are going to be uh, from that realm uh, we had a company that cool. came through our program called neon district um female ceo margarita de corsell uh, originally uh, one of the first crypto artists and built a lot of uh, crypto art. And we can talk about what that is, but um, through the Accelerator program, they, they're creating a next generation blockchain game. Uh, and uh, through the Accelerator, they sold a in-game character, uh, what they called the boss. Uh, the boss is a um, the, the first boss that you reach in the beginning of the game. Uh, and they sold that character to someone on the internet um, for $25,000. It's the same amount of money you can wow. buy a Jeep for. Um, so you've now got a person who spent a significant sum of money to own a character in a game. What that allows them to do and the way, why it's interesting is for the first time you have the ability to own a game character permanently. Whereas in the past, um, everyone knows that the hours that you've spent playing a game and investing in it could eventually disappear because it's all, it's all virtual. Whereas now with crypto, 
uh, and what's called non-fungible tokens, that asset can be owned as if it's a real physical asset. It can be transferred, it can be sold, and it also gives you a number of rights. So the person who bought it now has influence over how that character behaves, uh, what kind of special powers it has in the game. Um, they potentially uh, are going to implement mechanisms where the more characters that the boss kills you maybe earn a royalty and a whole bunch of elements that can be built into these characters. And then this character can then also be transferred into different games. So think about if you, I don't know, played Mario Brothers, if you owned the first Mario character and you could now bring Mario into Fortnite as an example uh, yes. and how much that character would be worth today. You're now creating this real um, concept of digital scarcity and digital art. Um, so it's an extremely exciting company for me because not only is it about gaming, which I grew up in and love, it's also about being able to create economies in a virtual world that now has real tangible value in a physical world. And it's about being able to take something virtual and making it permanent that it now feels like a physical good. Uh, and that for me is just you know, multiple things to wrap my head around and people's head around on how <laughs> the future of the world will look. So I'll check out Neon District um, and their game uh, is called, uh, all the companies called Blockade Games and the game is called Neon District. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Elsie. Sure. I'm totally going to Google that right now. <laughs> awesome. Cool, man. Um, so thank you very much, guys, and we'll catch you in the next one. Well, thanks, Rob. It's been fun. Peace. Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from useful insights to stay relevant in the world of creativity, brand innovation, technology, and interacting in this new world, please share this podcast with them. On top of that, we welcome feedback, good or bad. So if you've got some, please reach out to us. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a branding and service design company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you would like to chat about the challenges you're facing, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. We release an episode every week, so please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're really old school, hit us up and we'll make you a mixtape.